This is a kick podcast brought to you by Crazy Ideas College. Hello and welcome to this episode of the kick podcast where we chat to either inspiring young innovators or good and clever people who understand the forces of change in our world. Our mission at kick is to equip, connect and unleash young people to do crazy good in the world. So welcome back to the Kick Podcast. So we are, Josh, we are so lucky today. We are. We are. Uh, to have um, Amy Yu, who is a young person who is doing some great things um, in the field of uh, medicine and science yep. um, and is actually the co-founder uh, and CTO of Ventura Medical. So, Amy, thanks so much for joining us on the Kick Podcast today. Thanks for having me on the podcast. I'm, I'm really excited um, about what Kick is doing. So, no, no worries at all. Now, what we do to start, Amy, is we we like to we don't like to start with the hard hitting questions of of what your actual profession is because you know we want to get to know you a little bit better. So, there's a few little questions we want as a bit of an icebreaker. Now, what's your favorite TV show, book, or film? You can pick one of them. Um. Let's go with book, and I actually read it quite recently, um, and it was The Happiest Man on Earth by Eddie Jacku. He really, especially the last two years, you know, going through the pandemic, um, lockdowns, he really um, brought a new perspective um, to how I see life and and being grateful for the little things and um, the amazing country that we live in in Australia. Yeah. For, so for those listening um, who don't know the book, it's a, a book that a – um, Holocaust survivor, right, Eddie Jacku, and he ended up moving over to Australia. And it just there's a lot of great stories in there about how he just got through the the really hard ten or so years there um, in in Poland. Well, his main message was all about love and humour. Yeah. I'm pretty sure, like what got him through was love yeah, and humour, love and your family, and these things that we often. We're so busy and we all we like think about is our career and the next thing that the next goal that we need to achieve. But um what really is important is um being happy with those around you. He made me feel very vulnerable because I was actually I'm a teacher and I was actually supervising a class and I finished and it was like when COVID was hit, so it was like there was not much going on. So I was reading the last chapter of the book. I started crying yeah. in class. <laughs> I'm looking around making sure no one saw me, but, like, it was such a beautiful book. Now, who is the one person you look up to most? You know what? Someone that I um, really admire is Melanie Perkins. She's the founder or co-founder of Canva and she is from Perth as well. I'm from Perth. Um, she went to a school just around the corner from the school that I went to um, and she often talks about the fact that she and her partner who co-founded Canva, they pitched their idea to so many investors um, and got rejected time and time again um, and look at them now. They're a multi-billion dollar company. Um, and so that resilience um, and perseverance um, <laughs> when getting rejected, um, that's when great things happen. So 
And that's what we're going to, to come back to as well, that resilience and that determination to, to get through what you really want. Um, but what we want to also say, so when did you finish school, Amy? So I finished school back in 2012. So it's my 10-year reunion this year actually. Beautiful. So what's like... What's the what's the journey for you been for the last ten years? Say if we can start touch on what you've obviously now in Melbourne, you were in Perth, but what's the journey ed, like your education and the jobs you've held throughout that time? Sure. So when I was in high school, I I really did not know what I wanted to do after school, and it was really hard. Even um, putting in my preferences for university, I think. We had to put in four preferences and my four preferences were each completely different. So I had engineering, I had teaching, um, I had physiotherapy, um, I think I even had actuarial science. I I knew that I was really interested and good at um, maths and science and that sort of space. So I I, I knew I wanted to head in that direction, um, but I, I just really didn't know what I wanted to do. And so what I ended up choosing was a Bachelor of Science, so quite a broad degree, um, and I did it at the University of Western Australia, UWA, um, and I majored in chemical engineering as well as pathology and laboratory medicine. So they're quite two very different majors, and I think I was the only person who would have chosen those two majors, Um, but it gave me a taste of both engineering and then also um, medicine and and health care. So, yeah, I mean, I went through that degree still not knowing what I wanted to do after that. So that was really tough for me. But it was actually um, towards the end of my undergrad that I did um, an assignment as part of my pathology major and it was centered around bioengineering and biomedical engineering. And that was the first time I'd ever heard of biomedical engineering. Um, and I was like, it was like a light bulb moment for me because it was like, oh, wow, I can actually use combine engineering and use my engineering and innovation and that side of things to solve problems in healthcare. So I really loved that idea of being able to make an impact through engineering um, rather than just, you know, working up in the mines, which is what most people who were doing chemical engineering um, were going to end up doing. And so from there I went and did some more research into what biomedical engineering is Um, and I applied for the Masters of Engineering course at the University of Melbourne, um, Biomedical Engineering with Business as well. So, yeah, I packed my bags and and I moved over to Melbourne to do that course. And back then, Biomedical Engineering, this was in 2016. It was still relatively new. Not a lot of universities in Australia had this course. So UWA didn't and that's why um, I ended up moving here, but now they do and now it's actually quite um, a common course amongst universities. Um, And so during my master's degree, you know, I worked at the university, uh, Melbourne Uni Sports Centre, while I was doing my degree, and that was great. Um, And then I also did a number of internships. So I did a research internship, um, which was centred around 3D printing of tissue. 
was very cool. Um, and then I also did an industry internship, which was um, for a company who does custom 3D printed um, maxillofacial implants. Um, and so I did one day a week at each of those internships while I was studying. Um, but other than that, yeah, I jumped straight into co-founding Ventura straight out of graduating my master's. So I actually didn't have an industry role um, before co-founding Ventura. So with with Ventura, people at, at home will want to will want to know what is Ventura and. And what are you guys creating? Yeah. Um, so Ventura Medical, we are a medical device company and we are working in the neonatal respiratory care space. So uh, it probably makes sense to start from where Ventura started. Um, so as part of my final year of my master's course, we could either choose a research um, project as our final year project, which is what most people do. Um, or there was also an option to do this course called Biodesign Innovation. Um, and it's a course that actually started at Stanford University. Um, but basically what they do is they bring together engineering students, but also MBA students. So you have engineering and technical expertise, but you also have the business and commercialization side of things as well. So it's more of a holistic approach um, and they really focus on bringing an idea um, into reality. So what we did was we spent half a year going out and finding problems. So it was a very needs-based approach rather than having a solution or a technology and then trying to fit a problem to that technology. It was about finding the problem first so that you can develop the best solution for that problem. So that's what we did. We spoke to clinicians and nurses. We scrubbed up, went into hospitals and observed a number of different operations and procedures um, in a number of clinical areas, including cardiology, ophthalmology, and neonatology. Um, and we came up with a whole list of problems. Um, then from there, we had to narrow that list down and then eventually select the one problem that, one, we were really interested in solving and one that we believed that we could solve. Um, and that was one in neonatal intensive care. So as you can imagine, a lot of these babies in um, neonatal intensive care, they're born prematurely, which means they have underdeveloped lungs. And so a lot of them are on breathing support. And the current gold standards of non-invasive breathing support are CPAP and high flow. And clinicians were telling us that they were setting a pressure or flow on these machines but they weren't actually sure if that pressure was getting to the respiratory system of the baby. So they were having to guess and check um, when setting the level of support for the babies. Um, we were really surprised to hear this. Um, and so we went away and we brainstormed a, a bunch of solutions. Um, and then we chose a solution, which is an airway pressure monitoring device for neonatal patients. And we developed a benchtop prototype or proof of concept and, yeah, begun to iterate and, and it's still iterating to this day. So that's that's the process. You, you 
choose a solution, um, but you're continuously testing and iterating your idea. Um, yeah. So starting big, you're going out there to see what the what the problem is and you want to find that solution. And you said about neonatal compared to maybe doing something in terms of cardiology or whatever it might be. Was it because you are working with younger infants? Is there a reason why you chose neonatal over anything else? There were a few reasons why we chose neonatal. Um, well, one, our first assignment and the need that we chose first um, was actually in cardiology. Um, but the more we looked into that need and more, the more we looked into competitors out there, you know, cardiology is a multi-billion dollar market. There are huge players in that market. So it is a hard market to tap into. Um so we ended up choosing neonatology because it's a niche market. Um, it can sometimes get overlooked by the really big players because it's a small portion of their portfolio. Um, but for us, the real reason why we chose this problem was because we all somewhat had a personal connection to this problem. And, and I think a lot of people can relate. You know, a lot of people have kids. My sister was premature. Um, the, we have a clinician on our team. She's a neonatologist. So she um, deals with this problem and sees this problem day to day. And she also has a personal connection to this problem. Um, so that's why we ultimately chose um, this field to work in. So when you decided to to build what you've built, Where's it? Where did the idea start, and how much has it progressed in a way? Like, and how much has it how changed? Much have you had to refine it? Yeah, how much have you had to refine it? Yeah, it's progressed a lot. I would be worried if it hadn't, because the very first um, prototype or proof of concept that we developed, um, it was very large scale. So it was about ten to twenty times the size that it needed to be. We built a benchtop respiratory model from bits and pieces from Bunnings um, off the shelf, you know, pumps and tubing and all of that, just to prove the concept. And that's really important. It doesn't have to look like what it's going to be in the end, but it's important to be able to prove the concept early on so you can test the viability. So from there, we had, you know, a huge benchtop proof of concept and we had to partner with a product development firm um, to get it to the sophistication that it is today. And today what we have is it's still an early prototype, but it looks like and works like what the final device will be. But there still is um, a lot of development to do. Yeah, of course there would be. I mean, like at Kick, we like to talk about like young people using their hands, head and heart. Like there's obviously a passion in there with your, with your heart, but then you've also got to use your hands, but you've got to use your head as well. So talk to me about that. Like you, you've got an idea, but then action it. And using your head to think, this can this work? Can it not work? And also collaborating with others to make this actually work. Yeah, I think, well, the very first um, part of it is making sure that it actually, the problem that you're solving on or the gap that you're addressing is actually a problem. Is actually a gap. So when we first came across this problem, we were introduced to a clinician, a neonatologist, and she told us about this problem. But you can't just start developing something and um, 
straight away without validating that that actually is a problem. So once we knew about the problem initially, we made sure that we validated it across clinicians and across institutions and different geographies as well. So not only in Australia, but is this a problem overseas? So I think that's the first step. And then when you start to develop a solution, um, make sure that the major stakeholders, so for us, it's clinicians, it's hospitals, it's nurses, make sure that they're involved in the development process. <laughs> because for us, you know, I don't have a clinical background. I am a biomedical engineer, but I'm not working with these babies day to day. So um, it's really important to yeah, develop your initial prototype or whatever it is um, and get feedback along the way so that you can develop the best solution possible for um, the problem that you're solving. And I think you mentioned before speaking to people. So if you're going to bring an idea to market, I think the best thing you can do is to speak to people who have done exactly that. Um, who can you speak to who have taken an idea and commercialized a product or a service um, from that idea, um, you'll find that they'll be able to provide you with so much advice um, and you can learn from their problems but also their successes as well. What about issues along the way? Is there been times when you when you sort of look in the mirror and you're like, I just don't know if I, if I can get, get this up or um, is this really going to work? Will it take off? Like you've had a bad day at work where, where it looks like there's going to be some roadblocks. How, how do you deal with those, those moments? Yeah, I mean the startup journey and experience in itself, it's an absolute roller coaster. And I think going into that, you sort of know that, but then seeing all these founders post their successes and highlights on LinkedIn, you, you can forget about the, the um, down moments as well. And so it's easy to get caught up in the glamorous side of being a founder and all the pitch competitions and awards. And then when you're in it day to day and you're losing sleep over a problem, um, yeah, you question yourself and sometimes you wonder if you're the only person um, dealing with that. Um, but you have to remember that every single founder is going through the roller coaster. Um, yeah, I mean, we've had a number of challenges. I could list a whole bunch of things. Um, obviously, COVID has been a big challenge for us. So going into 2020, we wanted to raise our first significant um, round of funding um, and we were actually set to open that round in April, um, which is exactly when COVID hit. And so we had no idea what the future was going to be like for us. Would investors be um, more conservative with their funds and not want to invest in an early stage startup um, like us? Or would people be more interested in investing in the healthcare space given that, um, you know, COVID sort of brought to light the importance of medical technology. So we really had no idea. But we had this whole strategy of um, holding an investor event, meeting investors in person, travelling, um, and we had to completely change our strategy. Um, and we ended up doing online webinars, meeting all our investors online. So it was very, very different to what we had imagined. But as long as you set a clear plan, knowing that plans can change, um, you can get through the hardest time. Yeah. Do you also think about like the like, when you have those tough days, like the larger goal, like you're helping 
at the end of the day, you're just helping infants, infants and you're helping Families. nurses, doctors, all sorts of people. Is that what keeps you going as well? Exactly. So for our team, um, we're all really passionate about the space that we're working at, working in. Um, and so getting this device to market and getting clinicians to use our final product, that's what motivates us to keep going even on the hard days. And so like, obviously you've the last five years or six years you've used innovation and that's been a key pillar of your life. Have you always had a passion for innovation, whether it be at school or wherever it might be? I think so. I think because it's not your standard career path, I never really thought about it when I was in school or even during my undergrad. I never thought about co-founding a a startup and running a business. Um, My career path was always going to be, you know, like I said before, I had my um, preferences as, you know, teacher, physiotherapist, engineer, that's what I knew. Um, But I think I always did have um, a thing for innovation. Um, You know, even as kids, my sister and I loved, I don't know if you guys watched this, but it was a show called Backyard Science. I've seen it. I've heard of that, yeah. And it would teach you how to build really cool things and do science experiments at home. Um, We loved that. Um, and then even at school, yeah, I loved all the hands-on um, sort of courses. So. Did you think that so when you went and did the like the research trips to, to figure out what's a problem, like where, where's the where's the problem? Yep. Did you think you'd be here like today, like as this massive startup who's doing some great things in the in the medical world? Well. Because we knew people who'd been through the biodesign course before us, we knew that spinning out a startup was an option. But did I think I would be here right now still running a startup four years on after uni? Probably not. I think, you know, the failure rate of startups is so high. Um, And especially with medical device development, you need a lot of capital. So you need to raise a lot of money um, to get things off the ground. So, yeah, to be honest, I don't think I, yeah, five years ago I would not have imagined myself um, in the position that I am now. So obviously you collaborate with people to get like your in investment up. Do you, Is there people who you look to as well who are around a similar age to you who are doing similar things that you sort of talk to and get, you know, their perception of things? Yeah, 100%. And I think this is really important, especially like we said before, during the down days and when you're facing all these challenges, it's so important to have people around you who are doing a similar thing and are experiencing the same thing as you. So we have done a number of pre-accelerator programs, accelerator programs. So we did um, the Melbourne Accelerator Program MAP Velocity Program, which is a pre-accelerator program. So through that program, I met early stage founders. Um, And then we did the MedTech Actuator Accelerator Program, which is sort of Australia's national MedTech-specific, healthcare-specific accelerator program. And so through those programs, I've been, I've met, yeah, the whole startup community and ecosystem in Melbourne, which has been amazing, um, including industry experts, 
fellow founders and even now today um, I'm at this office and I'm surrounded by fellow founders. So we're based at the Melbourne Entrepreneurial Centre at Melbourne Uni. Um, lucky enough to be hosted here. And so, yeah, every day I'm surrounded by people doing the similar things. The founding fathers and sisters. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Yep. You're in the right place. <laughs> yeah, I think it's really important because even during COVID when I was working at home alone, it can get really lonely as a startup founder because you don't have the huge team, you know, that a large company or corporate has and people to support you. Um, yeah. Um, Amy, just to bring it back to you, even people younger than you, like what advice would you give to, to young people who are, you know, just thinking they might be scraping the, scratching the surface of, um, well, should I do this? Should I do that? I've seen a problem here. I think I've got an idea. But they thought, oh, I'm a bit apprehensive about it. Like, What's the advice you give to those young people? Yeah. Um, my first bit of advice, and I always come back to this, I'm pretty sure I already touched on it, but talk to as many people as you can, network at any opportunity, speak to fellow founders, speak to um, people in the industry that will help you learn um, what the day-to-day is of different roles. Um, and you'll find that if you reach out on LinkedIn or email, people are really, um, really happy to help. And I think that's the best way to learn, learning from mentors and advisors and people have been there. Um, But a thing that I definitely tell myself um, five years ago or just when I started um, at Ventura is to just not be so afraid of failing. Um, Everyone just worries so much about failing and like I said, again, what other people think. Um, But And when I first started at Ventura, I was still applying for full-time roles because I was hesitant to jump into um, founding this startup full-time. It's Yeah, it's a really daunting thing to do. Um, But you have to remember that even if it does fail, um, you're not throwing years of your life down the drain. You are meeting amazing people every day. You're learning things every day. I've learned so much over the past few years that I would not have um, if I didn't start uh, start Ventura. So, yeah, those are my two main pieces of advice. That's awesome. Yeah, that's a great one. Um, Amy, we know you've got to, you know, the life of a founder means that you've got to travel to all parts of the globe Um, and you're actually off to Singapore. Is that right? I am. I'm off to Singapore tonight and it's the first time I've been overseas in over two years. So. How did you feel dusting off the uh, passport? It's weird, yeah. I got it out and I was like, oh, I really hope this is still in date. <laughs> it is. So it'll be interesting travelling during this time. That's- yeah, absolutely. Amy, thank you so much on behalf of Sam and I and also the, the Kit community. Um, I know they're going to get so much out of the, the conversation that you just had. You are one of the smartest people I've ever heard speak. So, <laughs> yes. so thank you so much for, for joining us on the Kick Podcast. Thank you so much for having me and I'm excited to see um, what amazing things Kick does. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Crazy Ideas College Podcast. See you next time.